Hello, I'm Hardin Coleman, and you're listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. As Lindsay Barquet and I embark upon the second semester of this podcast, it is impossible not to have interpersonal violence, polarization, and the failure to negotiate peaceful resolution of conflict all at the front of our mind. From shootings in Buffalo, Ivaldi, and elsewhere, to failure to refine bipartisan solutions to economic and social challenges, to the war in the Ukraine, it is hard not to fear for all our children and the world they will inherit. At the same time, it is important to remind ourselves about those people and community efforts that are, are focused on hope. There are a great many people who are working hard to create caring communities in which all children have equal opportunities to flourish. Communities in which there's a focus on character development, not only in terms of what it means for each individual person, but also in terms of what it means to efforts to create environments that embrace and serve everyone well. In this semester, we want to share the story of individuals inside and outside of educational settings who are using their talents and passions to support positive youth development with a particular focus on equity. If you want to follow this podcast and get more information about the participants, you can do so online at ccsr.substack.com. We also want to hear your thoughts about what brings you hope. Please leave your comments online or email me at harden at bu.edu. Great. Well, Larry, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for spending time with us on, on this conversation as we kind of explore the issues related to uh, how servant leaders are taking stance and working hard in, in this, you know, incredibly uh, polarized and time filled with tragedy and concern. And really those, how do you understand how people really keep work to keep the hope alive in the work you do? So, so I, I, lo- I love it if you could share a little bit with us what, what you do and how you got started at what you do and what do you think are the biggest challenges facing you in your work uh, today? Sure. Um, well, I'll start at a really high level. And first of all, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a pleasure to be here speaking with you today. Um, so engaging schools, uh, we collaborate with educators to create an equitable and engaging classroom schools and districts. And we're looking to, to support schools that are really ultimately supporting uh, students' academic, social, and emotional learning and development. That's really the mission of the organization. And the way we do that is we, we partner with to whole districts and with schools. And we, um, we provide leadership support, we provide professional learning, we provide coaching resources um, that support the efforts of schools and, and districts. And ultimately what we're aiming for is systemic shifts in policies and structures and mindsets and practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's at a high level what the organization is all about. And I'd be happy to uh, make the links if you'd like to uh, to equity um, in our work. I'd love that because 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 you know because you work nationally, you're in a lot of different communities, and this issue of what does equity mean is something that we all struggle with. And yeah. then I suspect that in different districts people respond to that language differently. And we'd love to, I'd love to hear some of those stories. Yes, and of course, we're in a hot time with the, the all the attacks on critical race theory. There's a lot mm-hmm. that gets swept, and SEL, there's a lot that gets swept into that from place mm-hmm. to place. So let me start with what we see as the, the end goal of, of equity, of equity strategies. And that is to achieve 
equal outcomes for all groups within the same classification, whether that's race or gender or class or religion, so that all, uh, so that no groups that a student is part of predict outcomes. That's really how we think of the, the goal mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. the equity work we do. And, and, and thus, that's what we're supporting schools to achieve. Um, typically, that, that's a radically powerful claim. A yeah. lot of people talk about equity is making sure that regardless of one's race, class, gender, you have uh, transparent and fair access to opportunity. Yeah. You're taking it, in the, am I hearing right? You're taking that next step and saying that and that their demographic background should not be predictive of the outcomes they have from that those opportunities. That's correct. And, you know, and that's the, that's the uh, outcome that we engage in conversation with districts about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's a lot, you know, I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit further. You know, we, we think that it begins with the belief that every student is capable of success and, and that recognizes the uniqueness and strengths of each and every student, that that's a core mindset that needs to sit, mm -hmm. sit below uh, equity work. And uh, again, we'll, Part of what we do is unpack these with the districts and schools that we partner with. And we also believe that equitable schools are committed to fairness, creating access and closing gaps. And I'll say a little bit about each of these. Um, so with regard to fairness, um, schools that are committed to, to equity uh, identify and eliminate the biases and barriers to students success in school and, and in particular the barriers that relate to the group, different groups that students are part of, whether it's race, uh, ethnic, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic background, et cetera, the whole, whole host of different identity groups. Um, and, and then also that um, schools recognize and, and appreciate and, and uh, differences um, as, as strengths that students bring in each of these areas. Mm -hmm. We also talk about equitable schools create, you, you said this, but equitable schools creating access, that, that schools create high quality educational opportunities that are accessible to all students. And even more than that, that, that educators not only establish high expectations, but provide high support, high levels of support. Expectations alone are not sufficient. That need to go hand in hand with the, uh, with the support that makes it possible. Yes. And then so many that, people miss that, do that, the, the resources provide the support as as important as the resources to create rigor. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And then that, that equitable schools work to close gaps, uh, to close gaps of that and various gaps. We, we are particularly these days playing, paying a lot of attention to the gaps and how discipline is, is handled by schools and districts. And there are, as, as you I'm sure no uh, distinct gaps are based on race, special education status, and, and other um, other identity aspects of identity as well. So, Larry, as you go into schools, are there are there any patterns among the professionals who respond well and and eagerly to what you bring, and any patterns uh, to those educators, professionals, families? Who kind of say, wait a minute, that's, that's too, you know, who are more, let's call it resistant, not necessarily opposed, but just resistant to, you know, the changes that this, this commitment would demand? Yeah, that's a good question about patterns. Um, you know, first of all, we recognize that this work takes time, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the, the opportunities for 
professional learning are critically important. And, and not only professional learning, but opportunities to, to reflect you know, on, on one's own mm-hmm. background and culture and upbringing and how that influences current mindsets. Uh, the opportunity to listen, to engage in dialogue and listen mm-hmm. to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to learn um, about, you know, about dynamics and issues that, that educators may not be familiar with. There's a lot, a lot of work done around bias, for example. Um, around what? Say that again. Around, bi- around bias, around bias. understanding bias, understanding implicit and explicit bias, understanding mm-hmm. the difference between interpersonal and systemic and institutionalized yep. uh, bias, uh, for example, and and then really unpacking where that lives and how that manifests in classrooms and schools yep. and and districts. You know, th- there's a lot of learning that that can and needs to take place, and again, it's not just uh, telling or talk, you know, it's not just one directional. It needs absolutely needs to be a, a dialogue, and and we put a lot of emphasis on establishing trust, relational mm-hmm. trust, mm-hmm. Uh, as, as the basis of successful yeah. transformation. Be, uh, helping people feel safe. So you know, implicit in your conversation is this ethic of caring. Yeah. That to to engage in this work to achieve equity. You, it has to start with true caring, not just for the kids, but for the adults in the in, in the community and context. So the caring for yeah. who they are, where they are. Is that a, is that both a fair assessment? And how difficult is that to do consistently? Uh, it's a fair assessment, and it's difficult to do consistently. It, <laughs> it really takes. You know, we talk about it requiring time, uh, attention, and intention mm-hmm. on a steady basis. Leadership matters a lot. Um, we use the phrase establishing a caring civic community built on relational trust. Hmm. And, you know, there's a few different ideas yeah. built into yeah. that. And, you know, one of the core ideas is that the adults really need to be able to ultimately need to model and live, mm-hmm. uh, what, live this. And when there's a lot of evidence that suggests when they do that, the students then will demonstrate and emulate the same sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And schools are more likely when they succeed in establishing this kind of culture and, and, and climate, they're more likely to succeed with broader transformational efforts. There's, all, again, research that that out there that support that, that notion. Um, and so schools need to create a, a sense of community that welcomes all individuals and that helps people learn to work together across differences. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned civics in, as part of that, so, so caring, uh, community, trusting, but also when you talk about civics, what, what, what does that mean to you and your work? Um, you know, it, we talk about civic engagement and ultimately it, it, it means providing opportunities for all the adults and young people to be part of intentionally creating the schooling experience yeah. and the culture mm-hmm. and the climate mm-hmm. in various, to have various opportunities to participate in shaping classrooms, the school as a whole, yeah, um, and it's not just the adults, and it's not just the young people in school. It's it's drawing families in as well. So you're you're talking more than uh, knowing the three forms of government and yeah. political parties. You're talking about um, and and correct me, these aren't the good words. You know, the predilection to engage in your community to improve its ability to serve all members. That's and, that's. At your developmental stage, how do you do that appropriately? 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now, and and, I, and and how critical is that approach to civic engagement to producing equitable outcomes? Um, in our minds, it is crucial because people, mm -hmm. you know, adults and young people need to believe that they can um, they can shape the 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 goals uh, and outcomes of the of the school and and for young people they need to believe in their own efficacy both collective both individual and collective efficacy so being able feeling like one is an active participant in the community and shaping that community is really a core underlying uh, experience and and belief mm -hmm. So as you go into a school and start building relational trust, people getting people to examine their belief systems, their biases, implicit and, and, and explicit, uh, begin to think, where are the levers in the curriculum or behavior of the average school that you find um, produce, when pulled correctly, produce the highest levels of change? So I'm, I will talk about um, the specific services that we provide because mm -hmm. I think they get at the yeah, question great, that you're, thank you. you're answering. We have three core services that we offer. One is called Engaged Classrooms. Another is in the arena of climate and culture. And the third uh, revolves around uh, developing and implementing codes of character, conduct, and support. Mm -hmm. And I can say a little bit about each of these because I think they provide uh, windows of opportunity. So I'll start with our engaged classrooms work. Um, it is, uh, first of all, a body of work. It's grounded in a commitment to culturally responsive and developmentally informed practice, mm -hmm. and also to building cultural competency among adults. Mm -hmm. That's important to recognize. Uh, there are a few other frameworks that are important parts of the model. One is a belief in multi-tiered systems of support, of providing mm -hmm. universal supports uh, to all students, and then really targeted uh, supports to at tier two and tier three to some students um, mm -hmm. as needed. Uh, we also are firm believers in what we call learning and life competencies. This is some mm -hmm. you might think of this as our version of SEL coupled with academic, yep. uh, academic learning competencies. Yep. And and so we, you know there in the in our framework we we talk about self awareness, self management. Um, social efficacy and academic e efficacy. So there's a little, that's where there's a little bit of difference with yep. a straight up SEL approach. Yep, yep. Uh, and then distinct skill sets in each of the, those. And importantly, uh, target, desired target behaviors associated with each that make mm -hmm. it possible to create look for tools so that teachers can be looking for mm -hmm. the desired target behaviors if they're intentionally trying to um, build learning and life competencies in students. And we also... So we're advocates of an approach that integrates academic, social, and emotional learning and embeds it in daily practice in the mm -hmm. classroom rather mm -hmm. than set in a separate in, in some kind of way. Um, you don't have a, this is our SEL moment. This is our yeah. civics engagement moment. It's like this, this gets built into the working of each classroom That's each correct. day and the schedule integrates this opportunities to work on the, the emotional stuff, the academic efficacy that is built into the pra daily practice. That's that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you one quick story, story about a, a practice. We worked, we've worked with a number of schools at this point, but I'm thinking of one in particular at a 
mid-sized city in, um, in the Northeast. Um, and the, and this, the school that I'm thinking of, the, the school committed and the teachers committed that they would me- each mentor one student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they were trained in academic, uh, an academic turnaround conference protocol, mm-hmm. uh, which is a protocol that they use or can, can use over time to support a student in turning around their academic, as the title suggests, their academic performance. Um, they provide a variety of different kinds of support in this protocol. And what was striking for us is that teachers were saying things like, I had no idea that so-and-so could, was thinking in this kind of way. I had no idea that so-and-so gets the support from home that I didn't think was there. Yeah, you know, yeah. It may not be as effective as I want, but it's, it's there. I had no, no idea that so-and-so cared in the way that he mm-hmm. or she does mm-hmm. about, try, about doing well. Mm-hmm. And so the, part of what happens is not only the act of providing support in a structured way to students, but the act of learning yeah. by the adults and re- connecting in a deeper way mm-hmm. and personalizing a related, understanding the power of personalized relationships. Yeah. Uh, it sounds, it, it, you know, you know, we, we both had a, some associations with independent schools uh, uh, prior to our engagement and more directly into the public system. But it sounds like those are the values that one expects at an independent school mm-hmm. of Teach one-on-one teacher relationship, that mentoring relationship that we're, we're talking about, that now you're building that into the practice in the public arena in a way that hasn't historically always been available. Yeah, that's right. I, I'll say, I'll move on to our second area. I'll try to move mm-hmm. all through these and we can come back to any of Great. them. Our second arena is, is work around climate and, and culture. And it's really about uh, implementing intentional initiatives to create safe and respectful and welcoming climates and learning-focused mm-hmm. cultures mm-hmm. in schools. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll just give, again, an, another example from uh, one initiative. We have an, an initiative that focuses on partnering with the schools to create safe and welcoming public spaces in schools. So hallways, cafeterias, mm-hmm. uh, entry and exit areas, a lot of the places where, you know, a, a lot there can be a lot of uh, chaos, disorder, sometimes yep. violent, you know, violent behavior, un- unwanted behavior. And um, the, the school that I'm thinking of created um, hall scan stations. They had a problem with frequent flyers, students out in the hallways between classes and, and, and too many of them. Mm-hmm. And they set up hall stations that were staffed by a combination of administrative and school safety personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and Part of what they did really was to, uh, when when students were out, they would stop them and talk with them, but not in a way, not in a gotcha kind of way, and no. we're going to punish you now kind of way, but instead to connect with the students mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and have a conversation with them about yeah. about school and about their life and mm-hmm. about what's leading them to be in a you know a quick version of a root cause analysis and yep, yep. you know the long and the short of it is they started playing roles and we started hearing examples where they would. Uh, find out that the student was having uh, problems at home uh, and they would connect the student and a social worker. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or they would find out that the student was having tra- problems in a couple of classes and, and couldn't seem to get beyond it. They'd connect the student and a counselor. Uh, they, they would figure out the student was probably depressed and, and make yep. orchestrate the connection with an outside provider, mental health provider. Mm-hmm. You know, or that a student was anxious and needed to really talk with a social worker. So they became, it became a uh, a way of providing 
supported. And often the most, you know, it was the more marginalized students were yep. Yep. out in the hallways between classes and for whom school was had not been working. Mm -hmm. So that's another example of um, a service. And then our third service is, and really it's, it's possibly the most comprehensive uh, one because it involves partnerships over multiple years is working with the district to uh, revise and implement a, a code of character, conduct, and support. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, it, it's a, there's a four-stage process that starts with an assessment um, and an identification of the inequities that exist mm -hmm. um, with an aim to reduce exclusion because one of, the, one of the dynamics that interferes with students' success is lost learning time yeah. that results from exclusion. And disproportional discipline, which is common in most in most schools and, and most districts. There's an inclusive process then with lots of constituents, including uh, teachers and student support staff and administrators, district level, school level, families, community members, students, uh, in a process then of, uh, over the course of much of a year of, of really providing input and feedback and developing a, a new code. Mm -hmm. uh, if one doesn't mm -hmm. exist or transforming an existing one into a code of character, conduct yeah. and support, a broader idea. And again, the aim is systemic shifts mm -hmm. in policies and systems and, and mindsets and practices. And it's really about, ultimately about shaping uh, a culture, shaping a restorative, accountable and equitable culture, mm -hmm. developing common language, common practice, you know, a sense of this is how we do things at this school. And then, uh, Orienting everyone in the district to the new code and then implementing it for usually typically for multiple years after that mm -hmm. uh, changes at, at all levels and among various constituents. And we've, we've seen begun to see very powerful results mm -hmm. in term, both in terms of reducing lost learning time and reducing disproportional discipline yeah. uh, in districts that are a ways into this. Now, Larry, as you describe that, you know, as you know, I, I'm, my primary engagement in, in schools right now is, is organized around the Boston Public Schools. Yeah. And have, have districts of this size been successful at taking on such a broad systemic change? Or do you find more success in, or, or, or is there anything pattern of success in districts by size in your experience? Yeah, uh, well, that's a really, really good question. You know, and I, I think we would tend to say that we've seen pockets of success in large urban communities like Boston, for example, or mm -hmm. New York City, or, you know, or others of the big urban communities. But um, it's hard to point to uh, system-wide yeah, uh, change that sort of reaches all levels and all places. There are certainly pockets of tremendous success. We've yeah. tended to work in recent years with medium-sized and smaller urban communities, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, where you know where we conceivably can can hold hope of reaching all of the various constituencies yeah. in different parts of the system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have a, a a graphic that we use called the gears that shows all the different, what we think are some of the major parts of the system. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so we've, we've have tended to focus, intentionally focus our area in that way because we think we have the greatest chance of systemic, yep. real systemic change. Yeah. And, and early in the conversation, and I can see, I can see when you even talk about New York or Boston, the way sometimes they're regional and LA, uh, Philadelphia, they're in or a larger area, they're regions 
regional superintendents or groupings of schools around some organizing principle who would take on this in a way that seems more effective than if it's coming down from the central office. Yeah. The central office has a harder time, even though we've redone our code of contact, making it took us, you know, five, six years to get every school to even say they're using it. Um, and, and whether they're well trained in it is, is another challenge. But so that, you know, I think that larger schools have that challenge if they, particularly if they start top down. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, we are in process is intentionally and intentionally an inclusive one. In the second phase after the assessment, there's a large task force that gets established, um, you know, in, in a medium sized district. There might be 60 to 70 people in it. We're working in one where they've actually they have 90 schools. They actually have four regions and they've created four task forces. So there's four times. Yeah. Yeah. that number of, of people but the in, and in there in this district of 80 to 90 schools they've involved 300 people in a deep kind of way and they, you know that's you could think on the one hand that's just scratching the surface in a district that big but that's a big number of people big, that are very big, involved in a, yes. in a learn in a process change process yeah. and particularly about a pro-social outcome we, we can get people out on school time. We can get people out on closing schools. We can get people out on some of the, the uh, negative challenges that every district faces. Getting that large group of people around a pro-social system change is really a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you use the word character, um, which, you know, across, one of the reasons I was looking forward to have this conversation with you is that in our, in our experience at the center, you know, the people who talk about character, people talk about civics, people talk about social emotional learning, people talk about equity. They don't all necessarily talk about all four. And you do. This is an uncommon integration. So when you think of world, you, you talked about civics and, and clearly you've talked about the social emotional and the equity. So in your work, what's the word character mean and how do you see it and use it in the work? Um, well, you hear it, you know, we talk about a code of character, conduct, and support. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is, um, we tend to use it when we're talking about a, um, you know, a holistic view of, of a young person um, and the goals of schooling. Mm-hmm. That, that it's not, that, that uh, educating for character, uh, for the dispositions of character, along with the you know, the, the skills and competencies yep. of social and emotional learning really need to go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, in fact, one without the other is sort of missing. So what, what, what were in your group, what do, when you say the dispositions of character, how do you use that word? What is that? What are, the, what are those dispositions? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we tend to elicit that from the districts and schools we, we uh, work with um, rather than um, you know, rather than impose or, or even suggest it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the conversation we were having a couple of years ago where, you know, the, the importance of making this locally relevant mm-hmm. demands your approach. Yeah. So the, the, those dispositions are going to sound differently in Menlo Park, California, from Burlington, Vermont. Right. And that's, that is okay, but both groups need to know what they believe in. And is that fair that they need to know what they believe in and organize to it and not make it a implicit or, or 
unexamined part of the life, but you lift it up and examine it so that they can integrate it into their work. That's right. And, you know, and it's, a, it's, it, it's often a way that parents and communities can latch on because they care about it. You know, we, we've seen the, 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 the polls and the surveys over the years. Parents care a lot about mm-hmm. parents of, of all different political persuasions care a lot about yep. of, of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They may mean slight, they may put emphases in different places, but there's a lot of commonality there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Larry, for you and your staff, what are the biggest emotional challenges for mm-hmm. doing this work? And in many ways, what are the, what are the challenges, what are the ways it challenges your sense of your character and yeah. your ability to care? Oh, good, great questions. Um, so the, you know, I mean, there's right now, there's the challenges right now, and then there's if we could step away from the last three years, there's yeah. broader <laughs> challenges because, you know, certainly one challenge is name it that 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 so many educators are so exhausted mm-hmm. right now from the, the mm-hmm. distinct challenges of of the that are pandemic related, um, and um, that's hard, and it's you know I, I think. Um, you know, moving, we, you know, we're also encouraged to see a lot of educators kind of lift, looking outward, looking to next year, looking, re, re, retouching their aspirations, their larger aspirations for schooling and That's for great. education, which is um, encouraging. You know, and it's, um, so there's that, living with that dynamic is, is a challenge. We also, there are some other things too. You know, we, we talked about the need related to, a lot of things for professional learning time. And, and we see a steady erosion of, of a commitment to professional learning time in, in most, not all, but many schools and districts. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a shrinking of the amount of time that's that's available for professional learning. And, and it's hard then to engage in significant change efforts if you don't have professional learning. You know, another challenge- Which is interesting because one, one of the, when you look at the re- research on school improvement and change and schools that over, that do cl- close gaps, all of them talk about the value of shared professional learning time as central to their systematic approach to meeting the needs of their kids. And this build, it's one of the core elements that almost every, re- all the research in this area right. say. And who's taking it away and why? Um, you know, I think it happens in a variety of, of ways. I think, um, you know, the, the push to have uh, time on task with students has been mm-hmm. one of the factors that lead, you know, states and then districts and then schools to uh, take away professional learning time and redirect it to time on task. I think, you know, sometimes contract negotiations Yep. Uh, looking for looking for time uh, taken away. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think and I think, um, you know, we've seen financially, you know, financial factors and yep. yeah. contributing factors as well. So I, th- I think there are a lot of different dynamics going into it. And it's not it is not true everywhere, but we see it in an awful lot of places. Mm-hmm. Another big challenge that we face is just the, the movement of leaders. Um, you know, the, the, the work that we care most deeply about or feel most strongly about is, this, is the deeper systemic work we're able to do in some places over periods of time. Mm-hmm. And usually that requires some, con- that requires continuity of leadership. Yeah. Um, 
And when that gets disrupted, when superintendents and other district leaders move on or principals move on, um, that there's the risk that priorities change and commitments change. And, yep, yep, yep. Uh, that's, well, that's and as you saw the state report uh, reviewing of the Boston Public Schools, that was the criticism. Yeah, that with instability in leadership, it's very hard to build a coherent systematic change and problems just snowball and get worse. Yeah. And, and the emergencies take over the work you're doing is not emer an emergency, but we know that if you do it well, you'll have less emergencies when you're done. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, all right, I just want uh, two more questions before, before okay. and I want to thank you very much for the time you shared with us. One is if you were starting over again hmm. in this work, what would you, knowing you know now, what would you take with you as the most important thing to guide your decision-making as you were, if you were starting all over? Or if you're, rec if you're recruiting someone into your organization as they're starting out to take on this work, what are the things you recommend that they really focus on and think about? Great, great questions, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would say, it's important to recognize that there's enduring, th enduring themes and things that change. Our, by the way, our, it's our 40th anniversary year. Our commitment to equity is really rooted in a, a, a commitment to social justice that started 40 years ago that we hold to this day. And, and so the, the commitment to equity really grows out of, out of that. Um, you know, I, I think what I would say is that I would encourage people to hold on to a, a, a holistic view of the, uh, of the nature of the positive school experience for young people mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to, to, to really um, look at something that speaks to the, uh, an integrated uh, sense of academic, social, and emotional learning and development to recognize that climate and culture matter a lot. Yep. They're founda yep. they foundational to the learning experience um, and that, that school success will ultimately, and, and academic success even more narrowly will, will derive from some effectively addressing all of these intersecting, uh, intersecting needs. Mm -hmm. And then I would take a, you know, a, um, encourage people to take a systems change approach. You know, I think we've gotten um, better and better at, at that ourselves, at, at recognizing the, the different parts of a, of a system, uh, working across constituent groups, uh, and, and, and supporting collaboration across constituent groups and um, taking a long view, you know, mm -hmm. of, uh, a, a, uh, creating plans that um, how to bring change in systems and structures and mindsets and practices yep. Yep. over time, um, not try to do it in, you know, this month or this year or this even year, no, for the next MCAS or whatever. You know, that, that it really, it really takes the long view and recognize that all of those are important pieces. The mindsets and practices go hand in hand, systems, structures, policies go all go hand in hand. It's all, it's all one big uh, bundle within the system. Implicit within that thinking, or would you suggest, and I, I'm gonna be honest, I hope you are suggesting this. So let me be very explicit that if you focus on this type of system change, it takes a certain period of time to get into a, a right set, right organization, that its success will be self-reinforcing to the system. That once you get that good system going and you care for it, 
it will self-generate improvement and constantly responsive to new changes in the world. And, and if you care for that, it will self-sustain, it will be self-sustaining. And if you don't, if you try to do this this year, this next year, the thing of the moment, um, you, that will, some things will get better, but the whole system won't, and it won't be sustainable. That's what we believe, it's what we see, and it mm -hmm. is what we aim to communicate. Great, great. Well, Larry, my, my last question on borrowing, shamelessly from Ezra Klein, who asked his, his people, what are the three books they would recommend? I'm gonna make it broader than that. What are the three podcast books, experiences that you would recommend, or that you find meaningful and useful that, that, that are a good part of your day, or? that you said that you think of, Oh, people should listen to this or people should read this. What are three things that come to your mind? Oh boy. I may have to get back to you about that. I, I will uh, shamelessly say that one of the books that I turn to continuously is one of our own, our book called engaged classrooms. Great. You know, I find myself turning to it mm -hmm. uh, uh, on a regular basis for uh, whether it's insights or specific practices or how we said this, something, you know, very specific, Mm -hmm. uh, so that's certainly one of the things. Um, I'm trying to think about podcasts about edu you know, education specific. Oh, then that'd be education. These are things that you part of it is how do you nurture yourself? What are the things that you reach out to that uh, become meaningful for you as a way to stay in this work and be engaged and focused? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I love to listen to the Daily, the New York Times <laughs> yeah. podcast. You know, it, it just, I, I feel like it, it just, it has me just thinking and keeps me grounded in the larger, the lar larger world with, um, mm -hmm. you know, a, a deep dive into different perspectives on a variety of issues. So uh, yeah, anything that does that, I, yeah. I enjoy quite yeah. a bit. Well, I'll give an example. I was, rec I was recommended last spring, uh, the slowdown, which is a podcast about poetry, and and mm. I I'm, I'm, I admit that poetry was never big in my life. You know, I have a couple people I've been passionate about, but it was never. But uh, and they uh, one, these, uh, the the manager they give a poem a day, and they can give it in context, and then they read it five minutes. Great when you're walking the dog or in between errands, but mm. that'd be my yeah. recommendation if you're looking for All something. Right. Relax and all the pressure of the world. Uh, the slowdown is a very nice moment. Um, um, so, well, Larry, once again, thank you for your time and attention, and most of all, thank you for the great work you do for for all our children. And we really appreciate it. Thanks, Harden. Wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. The development of this podcast is made possible with the generous support from the BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development and a grant from the Kern Family Foundation. Thanks also to Lizzie Barquet for her editorial and production work on this podcast. The music you're hearing is Bluesy Vise by Doug Maxwell, produced by Media Right Productions. I'm Hardin Coleman, and thank you so much for listening.